Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sports Business Radio is celebrating 20 years in 2024. Brian Berger has interviewed the biggest names in sports and business. This week, we're stepping into the Sports Business Radio vault to look back on some of our favorite conversations with NFL greats. Former NFL QB and Fox Sports analyst Michael Vick. The NFL's all-time leading rusher and Pro Football Hall of Fame running back Emmett Smith and Pro Football Hall of Fame running back, Eric Dickerson. Now, enter the Sports Business Radio Vault. Here's Brian's conversation with Michael Vick from June 2018. I've wanted to have this week's guest join me on Sports Business Radio for several years now. He's authoring one of the great comeback stories we've seen in recent sports history. Former NFL quarterback Michael Vick starred at Virginia Tech was the number one pick in the 2001 NFL Draft by the Atlanta Falcons, became the most exciting player in the NFL, and had endorsement deals with Nike and other blue-chip companies that brought him $25 million per year, making him one of the highest-paid athletes in sports. Vic was on top of the world, but then he lost it all, including his freedom. He went to prison in 2007 for his role in the Bad News Kennels dogfighting investigation. The NFL suspended him indefinitely without pay for violating its player conduct policy. Vic spent 554 nights in prison. When he got out of prison, he was a changed man. He was given a second chance by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and went on to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, New York Jets, and Pittsburgh Steelers before retiring from the league in 2017. He made promises to save the lives of more animals than he hurt when he got out of prison. He's kept his promise by working with organizations like the Humane Society, and he's even impacted a federal law that makes it a crime to attend an organized animal fight. Vic has found success as an NFL analyst for Fox Sports, where he's part of the network's pregame coverage every NFL Sunday. I met Michael Vick in person on May 22 at the Sports PR Summit in New York City. He participated in a featured conversation at our event with Rick Buecher, and our attendees found him to be honest, reflective, and insightful. I asked him to join me on Sports Business Radio to discuss his career, what he's learned from his mistakes, and how he's made the most of his second chance. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Michael Vick. My guest is Michael Vick. He's former NFL quarterback. He played 13 seasons for the Atlanta Falcons, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Jets, and Pittsburgh Steelers, four-time Pro Bowler. He holds the record for most career rushing yards by an NFL quarterback and most rushing yards by a quarterback in a season. He's currently an NFL analyst for Fox Sports. He's also heavily involved with the American Flag Football League and Alliance of American Football. He's developed his own line of clothing, V7 Clothing. It's available at v7clothing.com. And he's soon going to be relaunching the Team Vic Foundation Follow him on Twitter at Michael Vick and on Instagram at Mike Vick. Mike, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for participating at the Sports PR Summit uh, May 22nd at the Players' Tribune. I got to tell you, I, I think I told you when you walked off stage, you're someone I had wanted at our event for a long time. And 
you know, your candor, your honesty, your ability to reflect on your past mistakes was so compelling with our room of executives from across the sports world. How did you come to the decision to own your past instead of trying to make excuses for past mistakes? Well, I think in my case, I, you know, it was something I lived out, um, you know, going through you know, most of the things that I went through, you know, when you're going through that moment, you you don't pay attention to what it's going to be like, you know, um, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, the only thing you think about is living now and trying to, you know, find a way to, to, to make it all right. So, you know, it's not all about making amends. It's about, you know, becoming, you know, being at peace with yourself. Um, so, you know, I, I've, you know, I've learned to accept it. You know, I learned to deal with it, learned to talk about it. And I think, you know, more importantly, just being able to give insight, um, you know, in my life and, and, you know, the right things that I did, the wrong things that I, I did and things that could have been done better. Um, you know, just try to, you know, put it all in perspective. So the next person who, you know, you know read my book or, you know, follow my story or, or you know, Google me, you know, have more insight and, and see the progression, you know, over the years. Well, I have a lot of respect for you. We'll come back to some of that in a minute. But I want to go back to when you were growing up in Virginia. The story I heard is that until you were around 11 years old, you were a wide receiver. And then you decided that, you know, I guess you were playing pickup games and they needed a QB and, and you stepped in as QB. Is that the first time you played quarterback around 11 years old? Yeah, I shuffled around a little bit, um, you know, and, and when you're young, you get thrown in in different positions and in different spots and you don't understand why. But I learned to embrace it. So I started out as a running back and then was a receiver for about two years. And then the day came when one of our star quarterbacks didn't show up. And like I said, at the summit, I looked around and didn't see anybody else who could take on that responsibility. So I put my hand up. And not knowing that it would be it would be a lifelong journey, you know, in, in my sports career, you know, playing a position and having to learn it, you know, it was all about fun, you know, just having fun at the time and and figuring out what the position was all about. But as I grew older, I just continued to get better and better each and every year. And uh, once I got to high school, uh, I had a quarterback battle, won that quarterback battle uh, as a freshman, and you know, the rest was history. So you chose to go to Virginia Tech for college. Obviously, you had a really amazing high school career, so you were you were pretty heavily recruited. But, you know, a few things about going to Virginia Tech. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were the first person at that point that received a scholarship to go to college in your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. My uncle uh, had got a scholarship, um, partial scholarship, to Elon University in nineteen. Uh, 19- 82 and eventually he ended up leaving school because uh, our family was struggling and he had to come home and work and and help the family out Um, so yeah I was the first Um, my aunt graduated from uh, VCU and you know she's very successful in in her own right but um, for me to get a full scholarship you know go to Virginia Tech you know was a lifelong dream and you know I always wanted to go to the big schools you know, the Florida State, the Notre Dame, Notre Dame's, um, LSU's and, and USC's, but, you know, somehow, some way Virginia Tech won me over. And I won't say I had a stellar high school career. I thought it was average, above average. 
Um, but I always knew, you know, once I got surrounded by some talent, that my real talent would show. Um, and that's what Coach Bingham brung out. Um, they gave me the liberty to do whatever I needed to do at the at the quarterback position to be successful, um, not only for myself, but for the team. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you were really a unicorn, so to speak, as far like we'd yeah. seen Randall Cunningham. We'd seen some people who were kind of like you, but we never really saw anyone who was like you where I thought, Michael, anytime you got out of the field, you were not only the best quarterback on the field, you were the best running back. You were the best athlete on the field. And it seemed like Frank Beamer really let you do your thing and maximized your talents. Yeah, and in the process of being recruited, as I studied the offenses, even though I didn't know exactly what I was looking at, I seen Jim Drunkenmiller and Al Clark do things that I knew I could do. Um, knowing that the college level would be a lot faster, um, I knew I just had to gain weight and, you know, become more cerebral at the position. Um, it, it took more. It took a lot of time. Um, it, it didn't happen overnight. It was about a six month process. But my coach kept hammering, hammering me and, and, you know, making me come to the film room, making me study, uh, making me travel with the team. So I respect the journey. I respect, you know, the grind. Um, going from not knowing to knowing, you know, most of everything that, you know, I needed to know in order to move the chains week in and week out. So, you know, it, it was gratifying to look back and, and see, you know, just the progress that was made, you know, and the hard work and, and the push from the coaches. Well, and I think your freshman year, regular season, weren't you guys 11 or no? I mean, that's a pretty good start to your college career. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, just, you know, just to be thrown in the fire um, early and, you know, knowing that the, the collegiate game is really, really tough, I didn't know if I was going to be able to, you know, thrive or survive. So, you know, just in, in everyday progress and getting better every day, more study. I mean, you look up at the end of the year and you're 11-0 and and you're going to the national championship. It's like a dream come true. And uh, even though we didn't win the game, just, you know, having an opportunity to play in that game and, and, you know, please our fans, you know, meant more to me than anything. So someone like yourself who's so athletically gifted, I know you put your time in studying the plays and the film room, but when things break down on a play, how much do you rely on just, I'm Michael Vick, I'm faster than everyone on this field, I have a cannon for an arm, I can just get creative and make things happen? You know, sometimes when you're talented, you think you can do it all. But, you know, in in the, in the NFL and in college, you have to play within structure. So nothing can be predetermined. Um, you can have all the physical gifts, but, you know, you have to play within the realm of the offense. And, you know, I, I try to ex- explain that uh, to a lot of young kids because they may watch me and say, okay, on this play, it looked like he just got the ball from the center and, and just took off running. But that's not the case. You know, it was it was going through my reads and then, you know, let my instincts take over. So I think without listening to this interview or watching a professional quarterback and if he's mobile and can do a lot, then they need – they need to learn the system first and allow their instincts to take over because that's that's what makes you a natural. So at your pro day workout, you run the 40-yard dash in 4.33. 
Uh, I guess you've run it in as low as 4.25, fastest ever for an NFL quarterback. You were selected number one by the Atlanta Falcons in 2001, first African-American quarterback to be taken with the top pick. When you get to the NFL, Michael, you just talked about you know, doing your homework and everything at the collegiate level. But for me, when I watched you your first year in Atlanta and thereafter, it seemed to me like you were able to pick up the speed of the game and keep up with that once you got to the NFL. It wasn't overwhelming for you. Yeah, well, my rookie year was tough. Um, I played in a couple of games, didn't play well. Um, Spot played a little bit when Chris Chandler went down. Um, But... The second year, 2002, was the year that I felt like I really blossomed. I was able to get all the reps in in the spring and OTAs, all the reps in mini camp, training camp, and just seeing a big difference um, in my confidence. So I think in everything is it's all about you know you believing in yourself and you know if there's any doubt then um, you know it, it stops the progress of of what you can do. So you know the the goal was to you know, learn as much as I could. Uh, I credit Dan Reeves because he brought Steve Young in uh, for two days to work with me, um, just to sit down and talk and pick his brain and 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 learn more about the game. And, and I think that's what really uh, got me over the hump. Yeah, both lefties that, too. Yeah, both lefties. Uh, offenses were similar. Um, Dan, you know, did a lot of improv as far as you know, calling plays from the sideline and, and creating. Um, plays for me uh, different than what Steve did but it was some similarities and we was able to gel that all together and and really put together offense that made us successful in 2002. Let's go back to 2001 so you're taken number one by the Falcons you know I've talked to a lot of athletes on this show over the years but I want to hear your answer to this you grew up in Virginia you didn't come from a wealthy family but now you're the number one pick and you come into millions of dollars, six years, $62 million contract. When you come into that kind of money after not having it, how do you handle that? Because it's not easy for a lot of people. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to explain, too, because everybody just don't wake up and and sign a contract for, you know, five years and whatever, um, up to millions it may be. Um, you know, I, I think it's all about learning. Like I knew nothing about taxes. Um, I knew nothing about investing. I knew nothing about having a financial advisor. And those are things that we didn't, we didn't, we don't come up learning about. Uh, they don't teach us that in school. Um, we spend more time, um, you know, taking, you know, quizzes and, and being drilled on things that, um, you know, we might not be ready for. And it all depends on, on the path you take and, and, you know, what profession you try to pursue. You know, in my case, it was football and, and you know, it consisted of having a, tons of money um, really, really fast. And um, just getting it abruptly like that, I, I you know, I, I didn't blow a lot of money. I was really smart um, as far as, um, you know, thinking long term and not wanting to um, overdo it. You know, the minute I signed my first contract and, and once me and my family went through the numbers, I instantly knew that a second contract was going to be needed for longevity um, to live the way that I wanted to live for, you know, the remaining of my life. And, um, you know, just knowing that, you know, the duration is is, is what's most important. 
buckle down and try to learn as much as I could. But, you know, it's unfortunate that we don't. I think the NFL does a great job of um, providing seminars and, and workshops for guys um, who don't have the knowledge about, you know, money and how to spend it and how to save it. Um, they really give you a guideline that you can follow that can help you, you know, in the process. So, yeah, they do their rookie orientation, but I guess it sounds like your advice to some young athletes who come into money is kind of what you said at Sports PR Summit. Surround yourself with a team of people who are the experts and, and who can help you in those areas where you may need some help, right? Yeah, you got to surround yourself with the right people, um, people who know way more than you. Um, and that don't necessarily make you... Um, you know, incompetent, you know, it's, it's a learning process. It actually, it's actually uh, better for you and, and your understanding. Um, when you surround yourself with smart people, you become smarter as well. And you don't have to always get the credit for everything. You know, you know, they have, um, you know, certain abilities and capabilities to do things uh, that make them great in their own right. And, you know, it comes around full circle. So, you know, that's the most important thing, and it's hard because you you have to build trust in people. And you know, if you can build that trust, you know, find two or three, you know, uh, people in your life that you know you can call on anytime. You can ask a question without feeling like you you know you sounded dumb or you just don't know. You know, and you put your pride to the side. Then you know that's that's growth. That's how that's how you make it. You know, in any profession, I think. No, I totally agree. And, and, but the hard thing is, is, is trying to figure out who you can trust. Like I see a lot of athletes who gravitate towards family members to help them with things because they can trust them. But then those family members may not have the education or skills in a certain area, like accounting or tax yeah. law or, or things like that. So yeah. that's the tough thing. Yeah. And, and you're probably looking at, you know, 10%, you know, the athletes who, who go pro, who, you know, come from families and backgrounds who have that knowledge, um, you know, and, and it's, it's not to use it as an excuse, you know, it's just the way the world is. And it's just, you know, what some people are, are born into, but, you know, I think that's, you know, what makes this world so great. You know, you, you have people in place who, who really care and this is not for you to know everything because you'll never know it all. The minute you start to think that you know it all, is the minute that, you know, things will, you know, take a turn for the worse. So, you know, I think you always got to approach it with the, with the open mind and, and you know, not always use family because sometimes that can be, you know, some of the worst-case scenarios. But, you know, I think over time as, as you grow as as a person, you know, you learn more. You know, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy I, I look at my – my career and where I'm at now and saying if I could go back and, and be the person that I am now 10 years ago when I first got in the league, then you, know, you would have to look out um, because I was, you know, it, it was, the sky would be the limit, you know? So I just try to, you know, move forward and, and not look, not look back. Everything is hindsight. And, and um, you know, just try to educate as many kids as I can because, you know, they're going to be in the same positions that, that I'm in. Um, you know, 10, 12 years from now. Yeah, but I wonder, and you kind of talked about this at the event, 
You know, if you didn't go through what you've gone through, you spent 554 nights in prison and you've gone through some things that I think have made you a better person. And again, I commend you, Michael, because you have made the most of your second chance. You've been candid. You've been honest. You've helped people since you've gotten out of prison. But when you were in prison that first night, I mean, here's a guy, you were on top of the world in the NFL. You had endorsement deals with Nike. When you were in prison night one and you're laying in bed, what's going through your mind? You know, night one, you just feel like you let, you think about the people that you let down. Um, but most importantly, it's all about building a strength in yourself. You know, there's, it's no way to describe, um, you know, that feeling. Um, you know, I think it's a personal feeling. It's something that if you don't go through it, you never know. Um, and the emotions really run deep. Um, so, you know, whether it was night one or night, you know, 300, they were all the same. Um, it's just that, you know, when, you know, when I was 10 months in, I was just a stronger person. Um, I'm not saying that I was, you know, built for, um, the duration of my sentence, but, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a very um, a strong person, you know, mentally and physically. So, you know, I know how to adjust. I was able to adapt, but man, the the pain and that you know I inflicted not only on myself but on my family probably um, is what you know kind of helped me deteriorate in, in in so many ways. Um, so, but I had to I had to stay strong. I had to you know, walk around, even though, you know, I was down on the inside, I had to have a smile on my face each and every day. Um, and that's just this, you know, create positive energy. And so I felt that, and, you know, the people around me helped me. But, yeah, man, it's, it's no joke. You know, I don't wish that on anybody, and um, especially coming, you know, from what I came from, you know. So that's what made it even more difficult. Yeah, again, I have such respect for you. I know there were a few people that were a big part of your life when you got out and of making sure that you got that second chance to come back to the NFL and, and to build your life again. And, you know, I heard you talk at Sports PR Summit about Roger Goodell, Tony Dungy, and Andy Reid. Maybe you can just talk for a couple of minutes about what each of them meant to your road back to redemption that you are experiencing now. Well, just to sum it up, um, I think for each individual guy, I can tell you about five or six different things that they did. I, I won't bore you, you know, or the audience with that, but just in a, in a nutshell, it was it was a collective effort. Um, and at the end of the day, I had to be all in uh, and committed. Um, the things that I promised um, when I visited Tony um, while incarcerated, um, I had to make good on those promises. Uh, I didn't see Roger until I came home. Um, you know, Arthur Blank flew out to my house in, in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, we sat and talked. Um, my agent, uh, Joe Siegel, uh, he was there, uh, just playing point guard, you know, trying to, you know, round everybody and get everybody together. Um, just so we can all be on the same page. And, you know, they all told me, you know, you got one shot and, and that's it, you know, sticking our neck out for you. Um, don't let us down. And, there still were some situations that happened where, you know, it wasn't all good and they still stuck by me through it all. Um, not not to say that, you know, my excuses wasn't valid um, because in some situations I, I was still young. 
and you know I wasn't um, you know making the right decision still didn't have the right people around me and it took one more incident to happen for me to really change and um, you know once I once I did that once I committed to them it was no turning back once Andy grabbed me and brought me to Philly uh, I had to be 100% committed to him and, and you know his philosophy to the franchise and to my role on the team so Roger was constantly checking in. Um, my agent, he was calling, you know, three or four times a week. Uh, Coach Dungey, he kind of let me, you know, go off and do my thing. He didn't, you know, he didn't bother me. My word was my word, and he trusted me. And uh, I think just knowing that I couldn't let those guys down, you know, kept me grounded and kept me focused. One of the things you did that sent a huge message to not only them, but to a lot of people is, so you get out and you're going through bankruptcy and you owed a lot of money, including to the Falcons. You could have gone the easy route and filed Chapter 7 and had a lot of those debts go away, but you chose to file Chapter 11 and you paid back the millions of dollars. What led you to take the harder road? Because, Michael, a lot of people would have just said, you know what? I'm taking the easy way, and and you know I've had a rough last few years. I'm I'm gonna go that route. Well, I believe God has a plan for everyone, and you know everyone's life is going to be different. There's no similarities. You might go through the same things that another person go through. Uh, you know, there's millions of people who filed bankruptcy. Um, you know, throughout the, you know, you know this world, and you know even in a lifetime. You know, you go through so much money and you, you feel like, you know, you, you learn. You learn how to spend it. You learn how to save it. And I just knew, you know, God had a purpose for my life. It, it'll be an opportunity for me to, you know, pay back the people that I owe and, you know, still have some money, you know, left over for myself and my family. So, you know, it was a big decision to make. You know, as far as, you know, Chapter 7, Chapter 11, 13, whatever made the most sense. You know, I was just like, listen, if I get another chance to step back on the field and, you know, get a chance to take another snap, then I can go back and do it all over again. And I told my wife that on various occasions, you know, all I need is another opportunity. And, listen, even the people on my bankruptcy didn't expect to get paid all that money back. You know, it's by the grace of God they got paid all that uh, so, you know, I'm just thankful that, that I still had the ability, to still had the, the the competence to go out and execute Andy Reid's offense, which was tough, and win games and have fun, you know, and, you know, make the city of Philadelphia happy, you know, for a short period of time. It seemed like you always had fun when you were on the field at Virginia Tech and with the Atlanta Falcons, but... I'd be lying if I said when I watched you play with Philadelphia, you seemed to have a joy that maybe was at a different level. Did you appreciate playing in the NFL and just being back on a football field in a different way post-prison than you did before? Yeah, every time I stepped on the field in Philadelphia, it just felt like a dream come true. Um, And, you know, I just wanted the game not to be 60 minutes. I wish it was 80 minutes. You know, I wish they were longer. You know, I enjoyed the preparation throughout the week, um, you know, being with my teammates, um, spending more time with them, uh, getting to know them, um, not necessarily hanging out with my boys and my friends all the time, 
you know, spending time with the guys who sacrificed as much as me. And uh, it really changed the way I felt about the game of football. Uh, I think those experiences now, you know, will have a long, everlasting impact on the way I feel about the game of football and the people uh, who I was around at the time. And, you know, my love for the game grew stronger. And that's why, you know, being an analyst is, is you know, extremely uh, gratifying. It's important. I love talking about the game. I love being around the game. I still love playing the game, not getting tackled, but, um, <laughs> you know, just watching. You know, every Sunday feels like a Sunday when I was younger, when I was playing. And, you know, it's those moments. You know, being in Philadelphia really changed me, you know, just as a person, not as a football player. One more thing before we get into some of the things that you're doing now. The other area where I have huge respect for you is – you didn't just get out and say, I'm going to do things with the Humane Society and I'm going to you know, do all these things and then not do them. You didn't just get out and say those things to placate people. You have saved hundreds of animals' lives since you were released from prison. You've worked with the Humane Society. You publicly supported the Animal Fighting Spectator Prohibition Act, which makes it a federal yeah. crime to attend an organized animal fight. That was signed into law by President Obama in February 2014. So... You came yep. out and you've really impacted some laws and some things to help animals, and that's got to make you feel good. And, and again, to someone like myself, I look at that and go, he's walking the walk. Yeah, it was great, man, to to be able to be involved in, in, in politics and, and help change laws uh, pertaining to you know animal welfare was something that I didn't set out to do um, when when I was in prison, but. You know, I always wanted to, you know, help more animals than I hurt. So um, I felt like when when that happened, and I went to Capitol Hill, it was really taking a big step. Uh, it was a really, uh, it was really a great opportunity for me to, um, you know, be on the center stage and say, okay, you know, this is an opportunity to make change, not for the rest of the world, um, you know, and, and not only for myself, you know, but you know, for the people who believed in me, and we worked really, really hard to pass those laws and get them pushed through, you know, through Congress and, and you know, to get them signed off by President Obama. Uh, and, and, it, and it happened. And, you know, even when that happened, I, you know, I, I could have been complacent and, and, you know, been satisfied. But, you know, just don't stop there. I think, you know, in life, you know, just the lifetime of, of, of memories and the things that, that you can be impactful in, um, you know, always be memories that you can, you can have and take to the bank. And, you know, those are things that I'm extremely proud of, um, you know, more so than, than, than scoring a touchdown or throwing a touchdown pass. You know, the things that I, you know, that I was, you know, really passionate about, I was able to get accomplished. And once again, it wasn't, you know, by myself. It was through the help of Wayne Pacelli from the, the president of the Humane Society, and, and, you know, all the people who supported me at that time, but they really helped me, um, you know, accomplish that dream and making that happen. And, you know, like I said, that's something I can I can take to the grave with. No, it's amazing. And, and you should be very, very proud of that. So on June 12th, 2017, you retired as an Atlanta Falcon. You now are doing a number of things. 
Uh, one is, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you're wa- working with Fox Sports as an NFL analyst. You're actually working with one of my close friends, Colin Cowherd, who I've known for a, a <laughs> long time. <laughs> He's a funny dude, isn't he? Yes, he is. Very smart, funny dude, too. Yeah, very smart. And he seems to really like you, too. So uh, that's great. But, you know, you said at our event, and it's true, you've got all this knowledge bottled up inside of you. It's great that you're able to share it with an audience now. Yeah, I think, man, being able to sit, you know, next to Colin and next to Tony and, and you know, Carissa and, you know, Coach, we, you know, we developed a bond that, you know, that I think will last a lifetime. And, uh, you know, we put a lot of hard work into to last season, man. We had great ratings and, you know, we had fun and, and being able to share insight on, you know, on the game of football, the quarterback position, you know, learning so much, you know, offensively, defensively, uh, is is nothing that I haven't seen before. And, you know, it's almost like a gift to know exactly what's going on on the field um, without even having to play it. And, you know, I love the game so much. I, just, I watch it, you know, day in and day out throughout the season, you know, um, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, um, and even catch up on some college football too. But, yeah, man, just to be able to do that was a blessing. Um, always wanted to do it, but didn't see it coming last year. And it, it happened really, really fast. And I was kind of thrown into the fire. But, you know, just the cast helped me grow more more comfortable as the year went on. And, you know, hopefully that is something that I can do for, for a long time because I, I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, and you're good at it. And and I like, you can tell when people have a chemistry, and you guys definitely have a good chemistry. So, I hope that team is able to uh, stay together. Something else you're doing, American Flag Football League, starts June 30th. Uh, they're going to air live on the NFL Network. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I-, I wouldn't want to try and catch Michael Vick playing flag football, though. Yeah, well, you know what, man? I won't run around as much as I did when I played. Um, you know, I'm going to just show everybody that I still got the cannon. Still throw the <laughs> football around, you know, that. I trained my daughter. She's a flag football quarterback. Um, so she helped me keep my arm in shape. I help her keep her arm in shape. And, you know, I'm going to show her how to play the game. And so I'm looking forward to it, man. It's just another way to stay in shape, still work out, you know, as much as I can, you know, play more golf than I do working out. But, um, yeah, just having a chance to go and play flag football, you know, two or three times out the year, man, um, you know, still still keeps me around the game, you know, and, and even working with the AAF, you know, Alliance for American Football, you know, being able to coach it too, man. I, I got, you know, I got it all, I got a three and one, you know, so I get to enjoy football all the way across the board. That's great. And with uh, the AAF, isn't uh, Brad Childress is the head coach there, right? Yeah, Brad Childress is the head coach and he's going to do a phenomenal job. He's facilitating everything right now. We can, you know, our coaching staff in place and, you know, we'll start getting our players together, round it up really, really soon. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to going and, and winning the championship. You know, that, that's the only reason why we're in it. So that season kicks off February 9th, 2019. What do you think of some of these? So, you know, NFL is king, but you've got the leagues that you're a part of. The XFL has popped up. What do you think about some of these other leagues that are popping up in, in competition with the NFL? Well, I don't think it's, it's competition with the NFL. Um, I don't think any league will ever be able to compare to the National Football League. You think about the history, you know, they've come a long way. Um, 
just in the years passing. So, you know, the NFL always be, you know, top echelon. Um, the AAF will be a complimentary league to the NFL. Uh, obviously, yeah, guys will, will be able to play, and hopefully they play well and be able to move on to the NFL. That's the, that's the goal. And I think the NFL will accept them. It, it's just another opportunity for them to gain more experience and uh, get more snaps, you know, what, without having to go elsewhere. So we want this to be a complimentary league where these guys, um, you know, they play well. You know, they have a chance to fulfill their dream. And, um, you know, if they do, then we'll be the first to congratulate them. So you're 37 now. I saw you do an interview recently, and you said you can still do a 4-5 in the 40. True? <laughs> yeah, I'll be blowing smoke when I say that, man. I don't know. You know, I had ankle surgery last year, but I tell you what, if I got in shape, you know, the sky's the limit on what I could do. Um, yeah, my wife looking at me right now like, yeah, right. But listen, I can do whatever I put my mind to, and I, I'm going to stand by that. Well, you have certainly shown that. How's your golf game? Golf game's pretty good, man. I, um, you know, I want to be a 70s golfer consistently, but, you know, as of right now, everything's like 80, between 80 and 85. So, you know, I know I know what the problem is, you know, in any, in any sport, you got to practice, and I don't practice enough. So, you know, I just think I can go out and hit it and, and, and play well, but that's not the case because every golf course requires a different shot and it allows you to, and you have to think differently. So, that's part of the challenge, man, but that's what keeps me going. Well, that's what keeps me competitive right now. That's fun. Uh, a few other things you're doing. You've got your V7 clothing, v7clothing.com. I know you're working with traditions. You've got a line, a V7 clothing in partnership with Virginia Tech. Tell us about that yeah. line. Uh, uh, V7 clothing is is something that, you know, we're taking one step at a time, Um you know, we want to make it exclusive. We want to continue to grow. I think, you know, getting the opportunity to develop an account with Virginia Tech uh, was something that was never done before by a player and, and uh, a collegiate program. So I think we broke a barrier with that. Um, but just looking forward to expanding the brand, you know, moving slow, not taking it, you know, not trying to do it all in one day or, or, or one month. Um you know, we want to gradually pace ourselves and make sure that we're doing it right, not stepping on anyone's toes. I'm still, uh, you know, connected with, with, with Nike. Um, and, you know, that partnership is a partnership, I think, that'll last for a lifetime. But they gave me the liberty to, to go out and, uh, you know, grow V7. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited as far as, you know, where I'm at now and the team that I've been able to develop um, to go out and execute and make V7 product, um, you know, a really, really good product. So I'm thankful that Virginia Tech got on board. Um, There's nothing that I wouldn't do for them, and there's nothing that they wouldn't do for me. So uh, they helped kickstart it, and I'm excited about the partnership. So V7Clothing.com, another friend that we share mutually. I'm based in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, headquarters where Nike is. And Ralph Green is a good friend of mine, and I know you and Ralph uh, yeah. go way back, too. So uh, Ralph was excited to see you at my event a few weeks ago in uh, in New York and uh, said, hey, you got my guy there. So that's uh, cool. I know that you and Ralph have a good relationship. Uh, your team, yeah, Vic, found do. it. Team Vic Foundation. I know you're relaunching that too. I know 
your work in the community is a big part of what you do and, and a big part of your legacy. And I know you have kids now. So what is Team Vic going to be doing in, in the future? Well, the same thing that I've been doing um, the last three or four years without uh, the foundation being established. We had the Team Vic Foundation and we, we uh, did some minor community events and you know, made some minor donations back then, but I'm really looking forward to taking Team Vic Foundation to the next level. Um, and primarily, you know, not only working all across the world, but, um, you know, in Virginia, where, where, where my hometown, where I'm from, um, Atlanta, you know, where I got roots, and Philadelphia, where I got roots, and, you know, and, and working in cities where, you know, we feel like we can, we can have a major impact uh, just on helping, you know, not only young kids, but people in general, um, you know, dream their dream, uh, get opportunities that they thought they would never have. And, uh, you know, we're going to work tirelessly to try to, you know, get as many people involved, as many donations as we can, give out as much money as we can, and uh, help make an impact in the community. And, you know, I've been doing it for the last three or four years with my camps and just, uh, you know, really giving back. So, you know, why not establish it, make it big and make it grow? Uh, something that, you know, my kids can, you know, be a part of, you know, for a lifetime. And maybe I'll be running my foundation one day, you know, when I'm when, when I'm dead and gone. So that leads to my last question. When it's all said and done, you've been through a lot. You're 37. You've been through a lot. When it's all said and done, how do you want people to remember Michael Vick? I'll let them decide on that. You know, I... I don't know how people will perceive me based on a couple of different situations and scenarios that took place in my life. Um, I won't use my background and my upbringing as an excuse. Um, you know, just judge me based on my character, based on, um, you know, what you see. You know, um, a lot of people would probably never get to know me. They'll probably hear me talking in interviews and see me on Fox on Sundays and, you know, coaching with the AAF and playing with the AAFL. You know, but... Um, you know, just judge me based on my character, based on what you see, um, and 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 not on, you know, not on, you know, one or two uh, different situations that may have happened that could, you know, that were a detriment, you know, to my life. Um, you know, I grew from it, and um, you know, I, I think you know, just um, you know, growing and and being able to put that behind me and move forward. You know, with the help of my, my family and the people around me, um, really made me the person I am today. But, you know, I'm only 37, man. I turned 38 this month and, you know, still got a lot of life to live. So we won't stop. So they probably won't be making that assumption or the determination on how they're going to perceive me for a lot of years to come. So I got a lot of work to do. So let me put the work in in between. Well, Michael, I got to tell you, your comeback is one of the great stories I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I had not met you until, you know, a few weeks ago. I had heard lots of different things and you were the real deal and you're genuine and you're no, you're you're I would vouch for you for anything. I really think your ability to be reflective and to own your past and to walk the walk and do better going forward. It's unlike many things I've seen in my life. So uh, congratulations to you. I I'm glad that you're surrounded with really good people now. LaTanya is fantastic. And uh, she's awesome. 
Yeah, I, I just think you're you're doing great things. Uh, have fun with my buddy Colin Coward and doing all your things with football. And, uh, you know, I don't know you, but I'm going to say I'm proud of you. I, I think you've done a really nice job with everything. And uh, I hope we get to cross paths again in the future. Yeah, I hope so, man. You got my number. If you ever think I'm slipping and not doing it right, <laughs> then give me a call. All <laughs> right. That's Michael Vick. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian's conversation with Emmett Smith from August 2023. My guest is Emmett Smith. He's the NFL's all-time leading rusher, three-time Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys. He's starring in a new Pepsi and Frito-Lays commercial with Dan Marino, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, and Josh Allen. The new commercial is going to debut September 10th. On Sunday Night Football on NBC, it's going to run throughout the NFL season. Emmett, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Brian? Good. So let's start with some questions about Emmett Smith, the businessman. I'm really interested in what point during your playing career did you start thinking about post-career and your business and making setting up life after football? I started out as a rookie. With that in mind, knowing, not knowing how long I was going to be able to play the game. At my rookie year, I recall going into Jerry Jones's office and asking Mr. Jones to sit down on the sofa and listen at his business conversations, just trying to learn and understand how this man conducts business, trying to understand what I did not know, trying to see how he leveraged the Dallas Cowboys, learning all those things as the Cowboys value went from $140 million all the way up to half a billion dollars, et cetera, et cetera. I was always one of those curious individuals that I was thinking beyond the game early on, just not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I knew business was something that was in my cars, in my hands. I didn't just didn't know what type of business. So you've got Emmett Smith Enterprises now. Yes. Tell our listeners what that company does. Emmett Smith Enterprises is a holding company, first and foremost. And I have a number of different entities that I'm either majority owner in or minority owner in those businesses. 
And it ranges from construction to real estate development with my company, 413. It ranges from brokerage services to a, to a rep business in the real estate space. Very similar to the Starback Company or JLL, if you want to look at it from that perspective. My, that company is called Eastmith Advisors. And, and so we're doing a number of different things in the solar energy space. Development consists of retail development or commercial development, if you will. Do have some residential stuff that we're looking at right now. So it's a plethora of things that we do in, con- in conjunction with everything and all things real estate. You got to learn a lot of different things. You got your hands in a lot of different projects. Well, e- either either what you learn is you learn that you cannot do it all by yourself and you got to hire the right people to help you get it done. And you have to develop the team to help you uh, move the ball forward in those areas. Now, I'm not a, a, a estimator in the construction space. And therefore, I do have a guy that has over 35 years of experience. Our team consists of folks that have over 200 years of experience in the construction space. And so from a team-wise, that team looks pretty solid. Obviously, there's always challenges in, in the construction space, but we're doing fairly well. And then when it comes down to development, that's how, when I first retired, that's what I started with the Starback Company with on the development side with, the, with another company that I learned. A lot of the development skills that I actually have right now, the site selection skills in terms of analyzing markets, analyzing trade areas, et cetera, et cetera, and putting the development together from start to finish. And then when it came down to being exposed to the energy sector itself, found a guy that, that was very sharp, very astute in the energy space. And I was looking at some of the projects that I was doing and I'm like, okay, we can add solar energy here, tax credits for this and tax credits for that. And so we start looking at things that I'm naturally doing, and it's not a real stretch for me to just bring this into the West End. So I can go, I can vertically integrate things together and take it and scale it. I'm always interested when I talk to elite athletes on this show. I'm sure you get hit up with proposals all the time, whether it's companies that want to work with you or companies that want to work with Emmett Smith Enterprises. Right. What are the elements that you need to see when someone sends you a proposal in order to say, yeah, I'll do that? First and foremost, don't call me asking for money. <laughs> money is the least thing that you can use for me because name value, and this is what I learned through the Dallas Cowboys and watching the Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys is a brand all un- unto itself. And to be associated with that brand is going to be very costly. And so leveraging that brand is something that Mr. Jones have done and done tremendously well. And this whole family has done a tremendous job. And that, therefore, he has grown an enterprise. I'm, so, I'm similar. Uh, my brand may not be as big as the Dallas Cowboys, but when it comes down to being associated or you want an Smith to be associated with your product, there's a price point that, that, that makes some sense. Now, do I have the opportunity to exchange uh, that value for shares in the company or for ownership in the company? Yes, I do. If the, if I believe in the product itself, meaning that like PepsiCo, for example, and Frito-Lay, we all have grown up watching football games on Sundays and Saturdays and so forth around college football, and we all have our favorite chips. Mine's happen to be Cheetos, the fire hot Cheetos, along with my, my favorite drape I like to have that's a Pepsi product is Mountain Dew Cold Red. I believe in it. And so I I don't mind being associated with it. And so with a company like PepsiCo, being associated with them for a number of years through charitable aspects of what I do, that's a natural fit. So when it comes down to analyzing a product or service that we offer, that we provide, I'm looking to get a multiple, three or four times multiple on it 
if I go in at the right level. I like it. All right, let's talk about the spot. Unretired. It debuts, like I said, September 10th on Sunday Night Football on NBC. It looks like you guys had a lot of fun making the spot. How long did it take to make the spot? And take us behind the scenes a little bit. It took about six to eight hours to to produce the spot. And behind the scenes, Randy Moss, myself, Jerry Rice, and Dan Marino, we all was on the set together. Okay. So we all had to shoot our scenes individually. Then we had to shoot a scene collectively on the sofa. And with Dan eating all of the chips, at some point, Dan was like, I cannot have another chip. <laughs> I cannot eat another chip. And as and there are tricks to the trade when it comes down to shooting these commercials, which I'm not going to share all the tricks to the trades, but it's only so much soda you could actually drink. <laughs> yeah. But for us, we had a great time. We had an awesome time being around each other. We had an awesome time just having fun shooting the commercial itself. Jerry Rice and I there trying to do the gritty. Oh my gosh. How ridiculous. And so it, it was just a fun, it was a fun commercial. I understood the elements of being thinking about retiring and getting back out there and playing the game again, even at our old age. We know good and too well we cannot do it. But it's the thought that counts. That's all that matters. I was gonna say from watching the spot, like you're in good shape. Randy's in good shape. Jerry's still in good shape. Dan looks a little bit older, but have you ever had that urge? Like how long did it take you before you stopped having the urge to, I still want to get back out there. I think I could get a few more yards. No, the thought comes across my mind every now and then when there's a very intense or a very critical game or a rivalry game or a big game that's surrounding the Dallas Cowboys and the excitement around the game. If it's a playoff game that really matters, and if it's a fourth and fourth quarter game and, and you're mounting a comeback, yes, I get the urges and the itches. Even when I retired a year after, I twitched. I twitched just by watching the game, just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. And still to this day, I find myself doing it. It's probably because I'm watching my son play and watching what he's doing and understanding the game and what he's going through and what he may be even thinking. And so that part itself never, ever leaves because I know the game so well. I know what the blocking scheme should be, what players should be doing in the blocking scheme. And when they're making mistakes, I can see mistakes being made on the field. When I look at the all-time leading rushers in NFL history, and again, you're at the top of that list, the game has changed now, and teams don't run the ball as much. And my research tells me that the active player with the most number of rushing yards is Derrick Henry, and he's 10,000 yards behind you. So when you talk about unbreakable records, I think your record's going to stand for a long time. Do you ever... Think about how the game has changed and that record. I don't think about the record much, but I definitely think about how the game has changed. The game is, has quickly shifted in the direction of a pass-happy league and a high-scoring league. I think with the adjustments in the passing game, with the officials calling pass interference here and there, not necessarily here and there, they call them pass interference a lot. And then with the addition of the three wide receivers or the four wide out and the shotgun and guys throwing the ball quite a bit, the game has evolved to accommodate 
what I would call two classes of individual. One, the fantasy football lover. Two, the odds makers that are betting out in Vegas. Because you score on points, you have the overs and the unders, then you also have the odds in terms of three points and all those kind of things that are thrown out there quite easily. I think from a fantasy football lover standpoint, it's all about your players scoring those points. And whether it's seven or six or three, field goal kicker, quarterback, wide receivers, and then the running back. And then it's your defense. <laughs> then it's your defense. And now it's, do I want to have a running back in the game or do I want to throw in my a fourth or a third or additional wide receiver instead of a running back? Especially in the past half of league, you're eliminating the running back position because he's not going to touch the ball as much. Yeah. Do you think the record will ever be broken? I don't know. The way I see it, all records are made to be broken. And that's the way I was raised. And that's what I still believe. If a human did it before, a human can come back and do it again. The game itself will gravitate itself right back to the running back position. And so they're going to have to develop a lot of great quarterbacks around the country, which they are doing. They're starting very young. So we'll see. Last question for you. You have always done such a wonderful job of building relationships, both on the football field and off the football field. For our listeners, what's your secret to building great relationships? I think being authentic, being who you are, and not being, and being unapologetic about it. It's okay to speak your truth, but to speak your truth with respect for the other person's truth is something that that's required. I think being a good listener also provides yourself, provides you with the opportunity to have a great conversation and being open to receive knowledge in, in areas that you may be unaware of. That's okay too, because I think we are all placed here to learn and grow and to become the best version of ourselves, not to just spew hatred, not to spew arrogance, but to have respect for one another. And to me, I think those are some of the fundamental things that make people who they really are. To me, I, I've been around a, a lot of great athletes and they have every reason to walk around with a chip on their shoulder, but they don't. They're, they're human beings and they understand that they respect that. And I respect other people for who they are and what they bring to the table. But I think in certain areas, our knowledge and our experiences through life and through football and through travel and everything else have provided us with a unique perspective on life. And that unique perspective can be shared to help others become the best version of themselves. Congratulations on a Hall of Fame career on the football field. Continued success to you off the football field. Really excited for everyone to see your new commercial, with Pepsi and Frida Lays. Unretired, I thought it was great. And it debuts on September 10th on Sunday Night Football on NBC. Emmett, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, my friend. Be good. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end 
offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian's conversation with Eric Dickerson from January 2022. My guest is Eric Dickerson, Hall of Fame running back. He played 11 NFL seasons with the Rams and the Colts. He's ninth on the all-time rushing list with 13,259 yards and only 146 games. He holds the NFL single-season rushing record, which he set in 1984, 2,105 yards. He's the author of the new book, Watch My Smoke, the Eric Dickerson story. You can follow him on social media at Eric Dickerson. Eric, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Good. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it, man. So, all right. I always wanted to ask you this question, so I'm going to start with this. You have one of the most distinct running styles of any running back ever (laughs) in the NFL, the upright running, but boy, did it work for you. Where'd that come from, man? Uh, I get asked that all the time. Hey, man, that's just how I ran. I mean, that's just how I ran the ball. I, I ran track. And uh, I just felt more comfortable running straight up. I mean, I really did. And people think I ran, when I ran the football, when I came through the holes, I was not straight up. I always leaned. You had to lean. Because, but I'm so tall, it looks like I'm running straight up. Now, when I got in the open field, that's what people noticed the most. But it was just a, it was a God-given talent. It was, it was God, you know, that was, that's, just, that's just how I ran. And my son, he's nine years old. He runs just like me. Oh, wow. That's great. Does he want to play football, too? Well, he loves just what I love. He loves track and he loves football. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play football. He's extremely fast. I mean, if he wants to play, I'd let him play, but I would most definitely tell him. I tell him right now, look, it's, it's a dangerous sport. He plays flag. I don't let him play tackle yet. And, uh, you know, if he wants to grab let him play. I would never stop him, but I would just explain to him, you know, the dangers of playing, playing, playing football, period. You're 61 years old now. You're on your way to the golf course. How's your body feeling? Uh, like a, like a 61 year old football player, <laughs> you, beat up, you, beat up. you know, I mean, I mean, I have good days and bad days. I really do. You know, some days um, when I get up out of bed, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, most of the time, probably after you get up in the middle of the night and try to go to the bathroom, I'm, I'm lifting, you know, walking real slow. Uh, people say I look like I can still play, like I can still run. I can't run like that anymore. But, uh, you know, it's still a, it's a, it's, it's a struggle sometimes. It really is. I mean, I just gotta be honest. It's, it's not great all the time. Do you think they're doing enough now in today's NFL to protect the players or is there still more that needs to be done? Or is it just, Hey, if you play football, you're going to, you're going to hurt post career. You know, right now I've got, I, I have to give them credit and I call, I, I call it like I see it. I, I think they're doing as much as they possibly can do right now to help the players. You know, when you're playing football right now, you know, people say, Oh, you know what you were getting into. You have no idea what you're getting into when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. That's like telling a guy going to, going to, to war, to Vietnam back in the day, that you knew exactly what you get into. You have no idea what you're going to get into. And I know it's a big difference in war and football. 
but you don't. I mean, you're you're young. You know, you, you don't you don't think about getting hurt. You know, you don't think about you know you don't ever think about getting old. You know, you just think about. I love I love the sport. And I love playing, but I've got to say for now they do a, they do a lot better because you know they have these protocols. Because we got hit in the head, it was like, hey, you know, come to the sideline. Oh, you got you got to dig. You go back and play. And it, sometimes you play a, a, a full game and not remember even playing the game. So <laughs> that shows you it's a big difference. Wow. All right, your book is out. Watch my smoke, the Eric Dickerson story. Why was now the time to write the book? You've been retired for a while. Why was now the time? You know, I just felt like uh, the story really would resonate right now. I mean, I, I've, I've had the manuscript, some manuscripts written years ago. And, you know, when I, my friend Gustavo Miguel was the one who kind of pushed me into to do it with uh, the writer Greg Hanlon because he, he read uh, a, a book that Greg had written on. He said a very boring topic. He said, and he made it very interesting. So he said, I think this is the guy we should, we should use. So when I talked to Greg and, you know, told him some of the stories and he's like, Eric, I think it'd be a great book. Um, right now, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, you know, we're in a, we're in a different world than we were back in 1980s and 90s, even the early 2000s. And I just think it was the right time. And, and everybody that I know that have read the book said, Eric, man, it's, it's, a, it's an easy read. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff I didn't know. And, and, and I think it's a great book. So it, it makes me happy. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the book. I'm proud of everything in it, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not, I'm, it's nothing made up in that book. I'm not making up no stories. I'm not embellishing on anything. That is exactly what happened to me in my life. Not just as an NFL football player, as, as, a, as a young black man, young black kid in the state of Texas, you know, playing college football in college, you know, and just my life. Do you feel like when you were playing, you were misunderstood? You know, I hate the word misunderstood. You know, I, I hate that word. I, I think I was, I think I was, Prejudged a judge room because people because people make judgment calls. You know, misunderstood is like you misunderstood something that was said or something. You know, I was I was always prejudged. You know, and and you know one thing I, I was taught. My dad taught me this. He said you don't judge anyone because you know God does the judging, and I don't judge anyone. I like to meet a person in person to 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 see how that person really is. Mm-hmm. It happened a, it happened a couple of days ago. It was a guy and he said, oh yeah, and I won't say the guy. Oh man, I heard he's an ass, and I heard him talking about it. He's an ass, and I asked him. I said, you ever met the guy? He said, no, nah, but my friend Bob, I'm just using that. My name, my friend Bob, I said, so how well do you know Bob? Well, I don't know Bob. I said, well, see right there. I said, that's the problem. I said, that same thing happened to me. You're talking about something you don't know about. You don't really know Bob, but Bob says that so-and-so is like this. So you're taking Bob's word. I said, have you ever met the guy? No, I haven't met the guy. So I said, right there. And and that 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 happened a lot in my case. I mean, look, when I played professional football, it was different, it was a different time. I mean, you know, they were they weren't paying the players right. I mean, I was never paid right with the Rams. And I was made out to be a villain. Like, I'm just trying to get all this money. Well, I was just trying to get what paid, paid, paid right. You know, I thought, I thought I was right, and I knew I was right. But, you know, like I said, that was in the 80s, and now, you know, the year is you know 2022. In your book, you go hard at the NCAA, and I don't disagree with you one bit, Eric, but now they've got name, image, and likeness. A lot of people say that's still not enough. If you were the czar of the NCAA in college athletics, do you pay the players? Yes, yes, you do pay the players because the the players are, are making the university billions of dollars. Right. I mean, and I'm not saying you got to give them a, like you're not paying them a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. I mean, I'm not saying that you got to be something like that. But those players, they they deserve something. They deserve it. That that's what makes these universities go. The football team. It's not the basketball team. In some schools, it is, but you know, mostly football team. It's, it's not the track team. It's not the baseball team. It's not the girls' soccer. 
nothing against girls' soccer, but let's just be honest. It's football. I mean, University of Alabama, what do you think about the University of Alabama? You think it's, you think it's men's baseball? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's football. You know? And that's just, that's just how it is. I just feel like it, that the NCAA have gotten away so long, so long with, with exploiting kids and, and, and making them paper for, for stuff that they're, they're young, they're young kids, 18 and 19 years old. A lot of them are black kids, black poor kids, don't have anything. Just like, just like me. I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have, we didn't have a lot. We weren't dirt poor. We didn't have a lot. I'm just trying to help my mother. That's it. I mean, and that's what, that's a lot of these kids trying to do, trying to help their mother off of a, a skill that they have, that they're going to have for a short period of time. But you have to, you get judged and you get, you get penalized for it. Or back then you did. Yeah, I totally agree with you and, and have said on this show for a long time that the players should be paid. And, you know, when the NCAA manual was written back in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't a multi-billion dollar industry like it is now. Most definitely, you're right. I think if you read the, the manual about the NCAA and, and how it was written, I think even the guy who wrote it said it's a form of, I mean, I'm just going to call it slavery. It's almost like an indentured servant is what it's like. <laughs> and that's what it, that's almost what it's like. And it's, it's black kids, white kids, not just all black. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not even about the color. I don't care if it was all Hispanic kids. It was all black. It was all Asian. But it, and luckily it's all, it's all, all race. That's what sports is all. That's the great thing about sports. It's not about what color you are. It's about the team color you wear. That's what I love about sports. You can, we don't care anything about your, your skin color. It's about if you're a tiger, if you're a ram, if you're a lion, that's what it comes down to. Eric, the Los Angeles Rams are in the Super Bowl. I'm sure that's exciting to you. You're an ambassador for the Rams now, right? Yeah, yeah, I work. For, I work for the team. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the, the organization. Uh, the organization came a long way since I played football. Uh, I'm very happy that, that we, we made it to the Super Bowl because you know a lot of guys heard me talk about Matt Stafford and so I kept saying he's the right guy to help us, with, you know, lead 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 our team to the Super Bowl. I see we're missing that one piece for for a couple of years. Uh, and you know, I'm not saying I'm like, I'm right, but I tried to tell, I said, I'm, I kept telling you, you know, we just needed that guy back there and he's the right guy, you know, for, to help lead this team to the Super Bowl, a Super Bowl victory. You know, what's so interesting about the running back position is other than like a Derrick Henry, there's no like primary running back anymore. I mean, you look at the Rams and you see Sony Michelle, you see Cam Akers. There's a few different running backs. When you played, you were getting the ball 35, 40 times a game. It was a totally different position. What do you think of the changes to the running back position since you played? Well, you know, I think a lot of guys, they don't want to run the ball that much. We like running the football. You have some guys who are built like that. Like, I was built for that. I mean, I love running the football. I didn't, it didn't bother me if I ran 35 times a day and 35 times next week. I was good with that. Um, and that's how our era was. You know, you had to have a running, but you have to have a running game. Today, everything is made up of the passing game. And which I think in some cases, it can cost you. And I, and I'll use an example. I think it cost Kansas City yesterday. I think it cost them their game, getting away from the running game. When you run the football, it changes everything. Matter of fact, I asked Lawrence Taylor and I asked Bruce Smith this question about three months ago. I said, man, let me ask you a question. Because we were talking about the running game. I said, let me ask you this. I said, so if you played a football game, how would you like it if they didn't run the ball one time? <laughs> it's funny. Both of them said it at the same time. Not one time, not one run. <laughs> I said, not one run. No jet sweep. He said, oh, man, we'd love that. He said, we'd love it. He said, we like it when they run it like five or six times. He said, but not at all. 
He said that would be that would be like Christmas because now all they have to do is rush that quarterback. We ain't got to worry about nobody running the football. And today, I mean, you you've heard these these guys get on TV, these so called specialists or gurus, and oh, you don't need a running back. You you know, you just need a quarterback and just throw the football. Now, when it comes down to to to, to real game time, I use San Francisco for 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 example. When they went up to Green Bay and beat Green Bay, I said that they will beat the Packers. I said because this is a running football team. They play great defense, and I said that they don't have to have their quarterback beat them, beat 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 the, the Packers. And sure enough. No matter how it came out, special teams, whatever, but they end up winning that game because they're going to they gonna stick to their running game. So if you're, you know, the Rams have Matthew Stafford, they've got Cooper Cup, they've got OBJ, but they do have a pretty good running game there too for the Super Bowl. How do you think they should mix it up? You got to mix it up. You said the key word. You got to mix it up. You've you got to mix it. I mean, when you watched uh, Cincinnati yesterday, Cincinnati started running the football with Joe Mixon, even mm-hmm. though they were behind. They never got away from their running game. That running game eats up the clock. It wears down the defense. Defenses do not, defensive players don't like making tackles. They don't like, they don't like chasing those guys. I mean, fight the guy after them trying to make a tackle. You know, I think that the guys who never put on a uniform don't realize that, but guys who play this, play the game, they know. They're like, man, I don't want to play against a running football team. Give me a passing football team all day. So you only played 146 games, Eric. And I remember when you retired, you know, most people kind of like Barry Sanders or even Jim Brown, they were like, wow, he seems like he has a lot left in the tank. I mentioned earlier, you're in the top 10 all time in, in rushing. You did it in the fewest number of games of anyone in the top 10. Why didn't you play longer? Uh, I had a neck injury. I hurt my neck uh, when I was with the Raiders. And, you know, like, like, like most NFL teams back then, they lied to you. They'll tell you how how serious the injury really is. And then when I found out, uh, you know, uh, matter of fact, that next year, the doctor told me, he said, Eric, out, not, not the team doctor. I went to a specialist, Dr. Watkins in LA. And he said, I guess he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when he said, if you keep playing pro football, he said, you're going to die on the field. He said, you're going to be paralyzed from the neck down. And that was it. Wow. Do you think if you played in today's age, you know, I look at someone like Peyton Manning who had a serious neck injury and he was able to play a little bit longer. Do you think maybe you would have been able to continue or was that enough to scare you and go, you know what? I'm not even taking the risk. Well, it's a different position. You know, quarterbacks, they don't take the hits that we take. I mean, you're using your neck and head shoulders almost on every run. So no, I couldn't, even in the days that I feel I couldn't have played. Uh-uh. Now, if I was 22, 23 years old and that had no injuries, oh, I would kill it. I would, I would kill it today. If I just give me a good offensive line. <laughs> I would kill it. Um, these guys don't want to tackle. I mean, I would kill it. Well, think about the money and how that's changed. You alluded to that earlier in this conversation, you know, that you wanted to get paid more. And, and look at the money that's handed out today. Look, people think that, you know, they put this stigma that I played for the money. I played because I love the sport. I love football. I loved everything about it at one point. I mean, everything. I used to say once when I was young, I said, I'd play for free if somebody just paid all my bills. That's how much I love that sport. And by the end, they made me hate a sport that I love so much, which is, which is a travesty because a lot of players feel that way. But yes, the money is fantastic now. I mean, it wouldn't be a problem with the money. And I, I'd be playing a sport that I just, I just loved. I mean, I, I adored everything about football, even though the physicality of it, I didn't know how, how it was going to beat my body up. I had no clue. You know, we didn't, they didn't know anything about CTE. We didn't know anything about it. even concussion. I didn't know what a concussion was until I got into pros and I got one in college. And that's not even my first couple of years. That was probably my like fifth year when I knew what a concussion was. So 
you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things that you don't know that people assume you know, or, oh, you know, how would you know? I mean, you're 23, you're 22 years old. What would you know? You're, you're a kid. When you look at the training now that takes place, I mean, they're monitoring people's heartbeat and, you know, are they going to get injured during practice? Maybe we need to pull them out of practice. The uh, diet that a lot of the players have, like they're just looking at so much more of the mental and physical health of athletes today. It's, 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 that's, that, that's, that's a great thing. You know, I got to say it really is because we didn't have that. We didn't have bad, bad coaches and, you know, all these uh, sports facilities to go to. Oh, look, football back in those days, you get to get an ice bucket, get your bag of ice, or get in the heat, or get in a whirlpool. That was it. Or, or get a, or get a rub down. I'm just being honest. That was it. That was the extent of it. You know, get out there and stretch for like 15 minutes or 10 minutes. If that, okay, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get the full contact. That's how it worked. And it was full contact. It was tackling and everything in practice. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, now yeah. that would never happen. Oh man, you can't touch them. That would never happen. I think they can. They can only go in helmets. I mean, so many times a week, so many times during the season. We were full pads uh, the whole year. Wow. All right, I want to talk to you about some of your uh, off the field interests. We mentioned Watch My Smoke, your new book that's out. I'm watching the game yesterday, NFC Championship, and who do I see running down the street doing a sleep number commercial? But Eric <laughs> Dickerson. I like it. How, how do you pick your partners that you want to work with for uh, business endorsements? Well, you know, I've been fortunate. I mean, I've had some really good partners. I mean, and look, my thing is, is that I'm not looking to do just a, a, a quick deal, like a one shot hit. I mean, I, I like to have a long relationship because, you know, I know the kind of person I am. I mean, if you ask me to do something for you, if I'm working for you, I'm going to give it a hundred percent. I'm going to be there on time. You know, be punctual. I'm going to be polite. I mean, that's just how I was brought up. And uh, I was happy to do the sleep number commercial because I'm going to tell you one thing about sleep number is I don't, I don't sleep well at night. I really don't. I mean, I, as I play football, I just don't sleep well. Um, but man, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get an endorsement for the mattress. Man, that is one comfortable mattress. I mean, I've got to say it. I mean, I thought it was, eh, I said, ah, it's going to be like one of my other mattresses I've had before that they, I've had. But phew, I can honestly say <laughs> that is one comfortable ass mattress. Really, it really is. Yeah, I, I don't have one myself, but I've heard nothing but good things about sleep numbers. So, uh, you know, that's great that you're working with them. You do speaking engagements as well. When you go and talk to people for speaking engagements, what are the topics you're usually covering? It depends what they want me to talk about. I mean, you know, because, you know, business and sport is, sports is pretty much all the same. I mean, because business is nothing but a sport in a sense because you have, you have a team and you have to try to work with your team. And uh you have good members on the team. You have lazy members on the team, just like in football. You have you have outstanding players. You have outstanding business people. I mean, and it's, it's no different. When I talk to young young athletes and young kids, I talk to them, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a different subject because I think every young athlete thinks that they're going to be in the NFL. They're going to be this. They, I went to uh, an event in Seattle many years ago, about five years ago, maybe, maybe six or eight years ago. There were these kids, and it was, it was all the, the top players in the state of, of Seattle, Washington. about I don't know, 30 of them in the room, and they were at this this at this sports complex, and they asked me, would I say something? I said, sure. So I asked them, I said, man, I said, uh, you know, congratulations to all you guys, y'all are number, 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 whatever they call At our time, they were called blue chip players. I don't right. know what they call them now. I don't know what they call them now. But he said, you know, all you guys are the best, you know, linebackers, running back, offensive linemen. I said, let me ask you a question, you guys. I said, how many of you guys think y'all can play in the NFL? It was so funny. All of them raised their hands. 
I said, man, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break it to y'all. But this room out of 30 of you guys, I said, maybe five of you may have a long career. Maybe two of you. I said, if you lucky, 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 maybe 10 of you. I said, no more than that. I said, I'm just, I said, you better get prepared for something else. I said, but it's great that you're here. I say, enjoy your college life. When you go to college, go there and go to get you a good education because you're going to need that education. Because see, I tell them, I was tell kids, you're going to be an old man a lot longer than you're going to be a young man wearing that uniform. Yeah. And and I think a lot of kids, they, they don't get that. I mean, they really, it, it doesn't get it till you say it to them. And it was funny. One kid walked up to me and said, Mr. Dickerson, no one has ever said that. I've never thought about it like that. I said, I said, it's true, young man. I said, I said, one day you're going to be just like me. I said, you're going to be a retired extra football player, a retired guy, whatever. So you're going to be an older man. That's a great point because, you know, whatever, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, everyone thinks they're going to make it. The parents all yeah. think they're going to have the kid that goes <laughs> pro. And, and it is such a finite number of people that make it. You're right. Dude, you're right. That, that's it. It's a it's such a small number that makes it. I mean, and look, I like to see every kid make it if they can. I really would. But you know, it just doesn't work like that. I mean, you could be the best athlete in your in, in your college, the best, and you know, you could be a number one draft pick. You might you're lucky enough to be a number one draft pick, but that doesn't mean you're gonna have a long NFL career. Some guys play three three years because they 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 just don't get it. They just can't they they can't translate from college to pro. Some guys, an average college player, average get to pros, and they just like, wow, where did this guy come from? I mean, that's that's just how it is. You were uber talented. Besides that, why did you have a long career in the NFL? What set you apart? Uh, first of all, I was blessed. I mean, I can't like God, God gave me God gave, and I always say this, man. I, I really mean it. God gave me a talent second to no one's talent, and I'm not bragging when I say it. It's just the truth. I mean, I was big. I was six foot three. I was fast, and I mean fast. I could cut like a little guy. I mean, I was fearless, wasn't afraid to get hit, wasn't afraid of contact, and I wasn't injury prone. I mean, I really wasn't injury prone. So for me, I mean, I had all the things that, and, 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 and one thing, everything lined up perfectly. I mean, in a sense, for me to play ball, because I mean, look, I came from a small town to Texas, 2,000 people. You know, I wasn't supposed to, you know, stuff like that don't happen for me. But I just say, I mean, I had the talent, and I worked at it. It wasn't just like I didn't work. I worked hard at it. My best friend would always say, man, let me tell you something. Because he, he'll tell me, man, let's, let's work out. And not, 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 not as much now, but years ago. And he said, man, when you went in, I said, work out with you. He said, you take it to a whole different level. I said, I always tell, cause I work out hard. I used to work out really hard to get in shape, get ready to play. All right. Last question for you. I need the scouting report on your golf game. You're going to play golf right now. What's, what's Eric Dickerson's <laughs> golf game like? Man, hey, you know what, Brian? It just depends on what day, man. <laughs> the day, the, the, you just you just never know what it's going to be like on that day. So hopefully, if you, if I can, if I talk to you again, I'll tell you it's a good day. So you know, uh, every I'm, I'm a six handicap, but that don't mean I play like a six all the time. Sometimes I play like a sixteen, and sometimes I play like who the hell is this guy playing? Eric Dickerson today. Well, that's if you were better than that, you'd be a pro, right? That's why. No, you, <laughs> no. <laughs> Eric Dickerson, Hall of Fame running back. Go get his book. It's a great read. Watch My Smoke, the Eric Dickerson story. Follow him on social media at Eric Dickerson. Eric, you know, like I said, pleasure to have you on. Congrats on your book. Congrats on Sleep Number and all your other things you have going on. Go Rams. And uh, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Sports Business Radio Vault. Thanks to the SBR team, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and Nicole Wardle. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, threads and Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Griggs Productions.